0: What up all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there. Thank you for joining me for episode 211 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Michael Barislavski from DomainMagnet.com. And this was a really fun episode because I got to track Michael's rise from growing up in Moscow, moving to Israel, having a seemingly good handle on what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to get into tech. He wanted to take that classic route after he graduated, maybe getting a job at some place like Intel. And realized maybe that wasn't the life for him. Maybe actually everything that he had been doing wasn't really what he wanted out of life. And then he stumbled into the online entrepreneurship game, started dabbling in buying different domains, reselling them, and over the years grew Domain Magnet. It's a great story, really interesting to hear how he did it. And I really just enjoy hearing stories like Michael's. So if you're a first-time listener, please remember to pull out that phone, hit subscribe. If you enjoy this podcast, you like what I do, you like the guests that I bring on, do me a solid. Head down to the bottom of whatever you're listening to this on, preferably Apple. Apple Podcast Player seems to be the place that you can easily leave a rating, easily leave a review. And on top of that, if you like the message and you think somebody can benefit from hearing Michael's story, please share with a friend. We both would appreciate it. It would mean the world to us. So thank you for joining us. I have no doubt you'll enjoy this story with Michael Barislavski from DomainMagnet.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Jay Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America
1: with cocaine. There's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes.
0: I quit the limiting stories really try to overcome that fear and right there for any of your listeners a lot of what i was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact i just went and did it welcome to another episode of misfits and rejects today i'm joined by michael baroslavsky from domainmagnet.com mike welcome to the show
1: thanks good evening glad to be here
0: yeah man you are calling in from chiang mai thailand tonight how is it over there
1: that's right. It's, it's pretty nice over here. It's uh, The restrictions are mostly relaxed. Um, everything is almost back to normal.
0: So when you say restrictions are relaxed, what does that actually mean? Because each country seems to have its own restrictions. And so are you allowed to walk around without a mask on, or do you have to have a mask on at all times when you rock, walk around?
1: Well, at the beginning, the the scariest point of COVID-19 Uh, we had some major restrictions like we couldn't go outside for most of the day and then at some point they said that maybe they will add even more restrictions that we would not be able to go out uh, except for like emergencies of buying some groceries once or twice a week Uh, uh, but then it's it started to ease out now we some people do wear masks some people don't Uh, i'm actually not sure what the official regulation is, but generally it's quite relaxed. Uh, most events are happening. I think some some big events are still canceled, but most gathering events are mostly back to normal.
0: That's cool. So is tourism kind of coming back to life? Are
1: people flying in and out? Are the borders open? Yeah, the borders are closed, uh, so it's so only some certain people are allowed. I think we have, we have longer-term visas, and, of course, um, citizens...
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm anxious to get back there, so I'm always kind of keeping my finger on the pulse of the world and what borders are opening and closing because, man, I, I'm in California right now, and although this is where I'm from, I'd still love to be somewhere else.
1: Yeah, i thought that the most recent announcement is they opened uh, Phuket, and you're able to fly in, but then you have to stay in quarantine for two weeks, and you have to stay in some expensive hotel. So it's theoretically possible, but probably quite complicated.
0: Yeah. And now you were originally born in Russia, but grew up in Israel. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I was born in Moscow, and then our family emigrated to Israel. And then at some point, I decided to travel around a little bit and uh, now settled more or less in Thailand
0: very cool, what was life growing up for you like in Israel? I mean, did you do the whole military thing after school ended, like everyone else does, or were you exempt from that
1: no i I emigrated later, so I was a bit older. I didn't get to I didn't get to go to the army uh it was it was so for me it was mostly like getting used to just coming to a new country, learning the language, uh studying in university, normal things.
0: Wow. Cool. Yeah. I spent a little time in Israel and I really love the country, the people, the food. It's incredible. Um, is most of your family still based there? Did did a lot of them choose to stay in Moscow?
1: Yeah. Most of our family are in Israel. Uh, the food, that's thats true. I still have a mild addiction to hummus.
0: <laughs> right. That's. I know. I agree. It's just so fresh and healthy. I feel like when I was there, I felt really alive. When before you emigrated, because you did say you you emigrated later in life, what were some of the things that you miss about Russia? I mean, do you ever go back and visit? Or once you cut ties with Russia, it was kind of,
1: you're done? Well, you know, I went once. And the biggest difference that was interesting that shocked me is um, I was living in Thailand at the time. I think it was a year or two ago. And in Thailand, everyone is, is quite polite. Like, it, it would be common to see people smiling. And everyone, you know um On the streets, it's usually quiet. People don't honk or anything like that. And in Russia, it's like the exact opposite. So as soon as I landed, um, uh, I think like the the officials were mean to me, and uh, so someone like tried to, to push me or something like that. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm back in Russia now. This is not Thailand anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. I spent a little time in Russia as well. I really enjoyed it. Um, I can. Att- yeah say that i I saw similar things that you experienced as well however what i did find is once i was welcomed in the hearts of the russian people that i met they were the most kind warm like hospitable people i ever met i mean i had a random family just take me in when i was staying in st petersburg kind of on the streets and they took care of us me and my friend it was incredible just how kind people were
1: yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I guess there are contrasts. If you, if you go to Moscow, if you stay uh, sort of in the center, that's, that could be quite different from your experience if you go to, to a village or if you end up with a nice family.
0: Yeah, true. What did you study in university?
1: I studied computer science and I was actually planning to become a programmer. Uh, a software engineer, and I, you know, at some point I had my whole career planned out. I was going to graduate and then I was going to get a master's degree, maybe a doctorate, go work at Intel or, or Apple or Microsoft. Um, but then somehow that didn't work out. So I, um, when I was a student, um, my second, third year of university, it was common to go and get a student job at, at one of those high tech companies. And the interesting thing is I had pretty good grades and many of my friends who had lower grades were able to get a a student job like that, uh, which was quite prestigious, like it paid quite well. But I was rejected everywhere. I went to like 20 interviews at all the big companies and I was rejected everywhere. Turns out I just wasn't very good at programming. (laughs) Like I wasn't very good at writing code. And um, I guess that's something you kind of have to be good at if you want to be a software engineer.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, how are you measuring yourself when you're at school? Because, I mean, I would imagine if, if there was signals that maybe you weren't as good as your peers, you would have noticed it earlier.
1: I think I was, I think I was good at it. I just didn't have enough interest in, um, in code, like in writing code, editing, understanding all those things. Like I liked some other parts of it. I liked uh, algorithms. I liked understanding how things work. But when it came down to just like sitting and writing code, um, that wasn't my thing, and luckily I also started looking at some different things I could do. Um, I was just a poor student, so I was like looking at some options to make money. And uh, someone told me, or I think I heard somewhere at the time, and it was back, back in two thousand four, uh, that I had somewhere that you could make money online. And, of course, I asked some friends, I asked my parents, and they just said that this is this is not true. You can't really make money online, just, just go and study and get a job. But uh, being young and, um, um, well, not, not probably not very smart, I decided to give it a try, and somehow it worked.
0: That's really cool. This gets me excited to hear. So what did you try your hand at first?
1: Oh, I tried pretty much everything. Um, the first like year or so that I was figuring out th- this online stuff, I was reading all the different forums. And back then, like everything was in forums, forums like Digital Point, um, I think a few others. And uh, the big difference is now what you see is everyone is just upfront about everything. Like Everyone is blogging, everyone is sharing everything they know in podcasts. And 15, 16 years ago, it was the complete opposite. You would not... Be able to find any real knowledge about how to do anything. Um, so you kind of just had to try to to get to know people, find some hidden IRC channels, things like that, uh, to really understand how things work, or try to or try to uh, review some websites, find some people that that are doing well, and then figure out what they're doing. So that was the biggest challenge at the be- beginning.
0: And it sounds like primarily because there wasn't enough people online doing these types of things, or were people keeping these close-guarded secrets because they didn't want the world to find out how you could make the kind of money that they were making online?
1: Yeah, I think it's both. It's it's interesting how it works because that was just the mentality at the time. People did not want anything revealed because there was this more of a scarcity mentality. People thought that there is a very limited amount of money to be made online, so if they found something that works... Uh, if they tell it to someone else they that someone else will just take their money and now I guess the big difference is that there is just so many different things that that work so many different ways to make money that that's probably not a concern anymore
0: yeah people have come up with so many creative interesting ideas that I've brought on the show and I'm always marveling at yeah how people make money I mean even you for example with Domain Magnet and the business that you've built for yourself it's like, I don't understand it that well, which we'll get into in a minute. And you can explain how it all works, but it's so fascinating. And going back to that mentality you described, I, I remember, you know, when the Internet was first coming into my home, there was a lot of fear around it through my, you know, the perception my parents had of like putting their information online and signing up for things with their passwords and stuff like that. And the younger generation today has nothing like that in their schema. They're just they'll put their email and password into anything. They don't care.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It all changed. And what, what year did you start with, with online stuff?
0: I started very late. I started in 2015. I actually flew to Thailand to try to connect with people that I knew were kind of in the game. And I heard that was a hub for it. Didn't do a very good job of networking and kind of just got started because I actually met a random Israeli guy in a bar. And I kind of told him I, I surfed. And he, he said, well, why don't you create a surf course and put it on Udemy? And I said, "What's you to me?" And he said, "Oh, we'll check it out." And then that's how I started, basically. <laughs> so it was just a random encounter. And in fact, that's who I went and visited when I did visit Israel. I went to, to say hello to my friend Tal and and catch up with him and catch a few waves.
1: Yeah, that's nice. The way the way I started is um, basically I was I was learning things and I was reading things. So I started my first website was about how to make money online. And as I was learning different things, I would just put that on a website. And typically, there would be a lot of affiliate programs, so I try to promote those different programs that help you make money online. And that's pretty much how I started to make my first, my first revenue.
0: Wow, that's cool! Because when I first kind of stumbled into this world of online entrepreneurship, I stumbled on through uh, Pat Flynn, and that's kind of how he did it as well. He was kind of just showing people through his YouTube channel like the different ways to make affiliate income and start niche sites. So it sounds like you kind of did the same thing, but you were kind of way earlier than Pat Flynn. Is that, do you know Pat Flynn?
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, but, but yeah, back then there was, there was no concept of, of affiliate sites, of niche sites. Everything was just pure wild west. Wow.
0: So then how did you, I mean, so okay, it sounds like you've started quite a few businesses, I'm assuming at this point, and you don't have to list them all. But at what point did you come up with the idea of Domain Magnet? And then how did that take off and start to grow?
1: Yeah, so back then, 2004, 2005, I tried to find some some people among my um, my friends that, that did something similar. And the only the only person, I think, one or two people that I found, they did some some porn, they did some adult uh, sites, and uh, that back then it was Adult Friend Finder, it's an affiliate program that like, promotes on, online adult dating, and that was quite profitable. Um, so then uh, most people were doing something like that. And so often then I told people at the time that I was starting an online business or I had an online business. People uh, assumed that it was either uh, just a personal blog that doesn't make any money or probably something in the adult industry.
0: That's hilarious because I actually remem- I remember Adult Friend Finder. And when I first found that online, I was like, this is amazing. Like you can actually just meet girls this way. And I quickly learned that that's not how it really worked. But, um, was it your friends who started that site, Adult Friend Finder, or is that just one no, example?
1: They, um, they, it was a huge site. They were making, um, I don't know the numbers, but it was huge at some point. And uh, my friend was just one of the affiliates, so he was, uh, he was buying traffic or he was building some kind of websites that were just promoting the Adult Friend Finder affiliate program.
0: Okay, interesting. So then, domain magnet. When does that come into play? Because just, can you explain what that is to me and my audience, please? Uh,
1: yeah. So the that came into the the brand itself came around. Um, I think maybe around 2008. The back then, I was more involved in domaining, so I was buying and selling some domain names, and we had um, we had a small team at the time, and we were. And the, the domaining world was was really going up, so the prices were going up, so it was a great time to to get into that. And for those who don't know, uh, this is basically just buying some domains, trying to buy some quality domains cheap, and then reselling them.
0: What is the biggest uh, amount of money you've ever gotten for a domain? Do you mind sharing that?
1: Uh, good question. I actually don't remember. I don't think I've had any really big sales. I've had quite a few that were like around $10,000, maybe a little bit more, but like maybe $20,000, nothing huge. I had some domains like, um, I think one of my better ones was Harlot, harlot harlot.com, and uh, Dickinson.com, and many three and four letter domains. Um, So it's, uh, yeah, things like that. I still have. Maybe five hundred domains that have some some decent uh, reseller value. Uh, so I still can, but I don't really uh, do it actively anymore.
0: It's an interesting business because yeah, there's people who really get into it, and I, I heard recently that there was a big company—I forget the corporation's name—who is hugely invested in domains. It was a company that you wouldn't expect, is like Disney or something like that, like some name brand that we all know that has put a lot of their revenue into investing in domains. Do you, have you ever heard of this company? Does that ring a bell?
1: I'm not sure which one, but yeah, there are quite a few. Uh, GoDaddy at uh, different times they bought quite a few uh, big portfolios of domains for tens of millions of dollars at some point.
0: Oh, you were buying tens of million dollars with the domains? No, no. Uh,
1: GoDaddy. Oh, GoDaddy. Go the okay. they, they bought some. There were quite a few um, sales the bigger domains sell like the the biggest sales for different domains were I think around ten twenty million dollars for you know for domains like sex dot com, but there are also many the many private transactions going on with with really big numbers.
0: It's such an interesting world. And then so how how did Domain Magnet evolve into online businesses that you were buying and selling?
1: Uh yes, yeah, so at the time we were also doing some websites. We were also buying and selling some websites, but. At, during 2007-2008 mostly focused on domains and then after that the uh, temporary boom basically ended uh, I think it lasted like a couple of years uh, the domaining prices were just going up through the roof and then it kind of crashed like similar to how Bitcoin went up and then crashed and then you know did that again so then we just uh, there wasn't that much money to be made in domaining it wasn't that interesting anymore so we just focused again on websites and, uh, and the brand stayed.
0: So when you say you focused on websites, I mean, what kind of metrics are you using to determine whether a website is worth purchasing and, and how much to sell it for?
1: Yeah, the main metric is just profit. So the first website that I acquired and, and uh, some of the first websites I had, I just built. But then uh, once once I had some revenue going on, I was looking how to invest the money. And that's basically how I got into buying websites. Uh, because, you know, if there is a process of building a website and then waiting until it gets some traffic, so why not just speed it up and buy a site that already has traffic and revenue and then grow it?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. But when you say um... – you know, it depends on the profit. Like, what kind of websites are you coming across that are mostly profitable? Is it like affiliate sites or is it actual, like, uh, you know, e commerce businesses or something like that?
1: So, we focus on, on content sites, content sites with organic traffic. Um, so, so, we focus less on monetization and more on uh, the traffic acquisition, which is generally through SEO. And then, in terms of monetization, most most of ours are affiliate some of them also sell some products some of them have um, ads like like AdSense and Mediavine and uh, and, and and also sells uh, like there is one business we have that is a SaaS product as well
0: and so you're are you acquiring these and holding on to them and to and helping them continue to, to generate revenue or just sitting on setting them on autopilot like can you just help me understand the business model a little bit better
1: yeah, so the main magnet now is a micro-private equity firm, so which means we, we buy small businesses and we currently have two funds, uh, two small family funds with investors and also a bigger fund we are setting up currently. And we have some pro- uh, different projects, different businesses we buy for individual investors as well. So the way it works is uh, people come to us and and they have some money they want to invest, but they... Uh, they don't have experience in, in buying or managing online businesses. So they want, uh, uh, they want us to, to basically manage everything. And that's what we do. We go and find some great deals. And we have mostly private deal flow. So people who are looking to sell a business quickly, we, we buy it from them and then we grow and manage the business. And at some point we sell it.
0: This is really interesting. It's, I mean, the, the different incarnations of your business is super fascinating to me because this is like stage three, it sounds like. And um, I feel like I, I read recently you had a pretty big success with your first fund. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it sort of feels like it's a different stage. But uh, to be honest, it's it's all the same with domain names. It's buying domains and then trying to improve value if, if, if I could and then just reselling them. And if websites, if online businesses, we are doing the same. I also did some some real estate. I was like buying, you know, improvements and then selling some real estate properties. So it's kind of a similar structure. Um, yeah, we recently published uh, results from our first fund. So in the first, uh, we for about a year, year and a half, and uh, we've had a 130 percent return. Um, From uh, 457 thousand dollars invested, so the the value was a million and fifty thousand.
0: That's awesome, and so you're a vehicle for investors. So I can give you money, and I mean, ideally, you're going to keep creating huge returns like that. But when you do make a return like that, like how are you? How how am I getting paid out? Is it like quarterly, annually?
1: Yeah, we have we have a few different options, but with most. With most funds, with most investors, we uh, pay quarterly dividends, which, uh, which come from both revenues. So, so when the site makes revenue, some of that revenue we are going to use for growing the business. So, and, and then the rest we are going to distribute. So And, and also when we sell sites, we generally uh, just distribute the profits immediately in the next quarterly
0: payout. How many investors are with you at this point?
1: So the first fund has uh four investors so it's a family fund. The second one we've just recently set up uh it's also a family fund so it's i think it's like six people and uh, we also have some private investors that that want to uh, that wanted to buy and own individual sites directly we have i think uh we have we've acquired like four or five and we have uh, quite a long list quite a long waiting list as well. And currently, we are working on setting up a bigger fund, um, which which would allow a larger number of investors to uh, to join.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like each like little family fund. I'm assuming has a minimum amount in which the investors need to invest with you. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, for family funds, we usually ask for about half a million, and for individual investors, it's around a hundred thousand uh, as a minimum.
0: Okay. Oh, man, when I get that money, brother, I'll give you some for sure. It sounds so interesting to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um, I think it's like the most the most exciting opportunity lately because this this industry has been growing a tremendous pace in the past five, ten years with this industry of buying and running online businesses. And now especially they are seeing so many people that don't really know that much about online business uh, wanting but but have some have some capital. So previously, these people would go and buy some courses, but now many of them are going and and looking for investment opportunities like that.
0: How are you finding these people to invest? Is this just through word of mouth and network, or are you you marketing this in some way?
1: Yeah, we we don't really look for them. They usually find us. uh, The truth is there is quite a few of them, and there is not that many companies like ours that that do this and do this successfully with, with a good track record. So there is probably only like three or four companies that do that.
0: Okay, interesting. And yeah, like you, like we said earlier, you're based in Thailand at this point, and You've been there like two years. And can you plan on staying there? This is kind of your new home?
1: Uh, well, we, we'll see. I got I recently got, uh, well, not so recently. Last year I got uh, the elite visa, so the, which is for 20 years. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'll change my mind next year and decide to move somewhere else. So I guess, yeah, we'll see.
0: Do you get the elite visa because of an investment that you make within Thailand?
1: No, the elite visa is not related to investment. It's just, um, it's like a VIP tourist visa because, you know, the thing with Thailand is for, for most people, there is just a lot of paperwork and everything. Like anything you want to get done, you, you sort of have to go and wait in line and get some documents and sign them and then, you know, get them signed again and again. And, uh, I guess at some point they they realized that there is a bunch of people that have money and don't like dealing with paperwork, so they figured let's create this, this special visa for people that just want to pay once and then, um, you know, be able to go, uh, come and go as we please without having to deal with the visas every time.
0: That's cool. So yeah, I'm assuming it's a pretty big lump sum for a 20-year visa. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's a bit expensive. But
1: I think it's I think it's worth it if um, if you are staying in the country long term.
0: Oh yeah, I mean the nightmare I hear of just everyone like running up to the border of what Lao, or they go to Myanmar, especially from Chiang Mai. Like some people are taking like a five hour scooter ride to try to walk across the border and get stamped and walk back. It's just like. I mean, obviously, I think they're at a different uh, level of income than you are. But yeah, the convenience would just be incredible. If I could move around the world like that, I mean, if I could just, if everyone could get on board and I could pay one lump sum just so I could do that around the whole world, that'd be incredible.
1: Yeah. In the beginning, then I was first in Thailand for the first year or so. Um, it, it it wasn't just because I didn't have money. I just wasn't like, I didn't have, uh, I did really look much into it. I was fine with traveling around every few months. So it it was more that I just decided to to settle down more and didn't want to travel as much. Then I started looking more into visas. And um, yeah, the the other visa options, I think the big difference is just that when you compare it on an annual basis, like how much you pay per year, it's actually pretty similar to other visas. The difference is just you have to pay it all up front.
0: Yeah. I'm assuming you like the weather and the culture and the food. That's why you've chosen Thailand to stick around for a while.
1: Yeah, all of the above, except I I still uh, only know like four words and die. Uh, that's a difficult language.
0: It is difficult, but I mean, the culture itself is such that everyone's so friendly, they're willing to work with you, and I mean, a lot of people do speak English, so for any listener out there who hasn't been, it's, it's not a place that I feel you need to be afraid of because it's easy to get around still, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, that's true. People are quite friendly, so generally, generally. And, and if you're in, in, in Bangkok, I think most people speak English. In Chiang Mai, uh, not as much, but you can definitely get around quite comfortably.
0: Yeah. Just real quick to go back to Domain Magnet. You have 20 employees and you also have, what, a sister company that kind of helps called dealflow.com?
1: Yeah. Domain Magnet, we have uh, about 20, 22 employees now. And we we are actually hiring. Uh, we have uh, three more positions we are hiring for right now. Um, and we also have some uh, more freelancers that we are working with. Uh, another company that, that I'm a partner in is DealFlow Brokerage. It's an MA advisor company. So at Domain Magnate, we, we acquire businesses under 1 million, generally between like 100,000 and 500,000 or so. And DealFlow Brokerage is focused on on brokering businesses, generally, uh, bigger businesses above a million dollars in value.
0: Hmm. What does M and A stand for? Sorry, I didn't get that.
1: Yeah, the mergers, mergers and acquisitions. So that's um, the reason that's that's actually used in the industry is because in some states in the U.S. you can't really call yourself a broker unless you get some special certifications. Um, so many people just call themselves M and A advisor.
0: I see. Okay. Very cool, man. Well, it's just interesting. I mean, you going from university in tech, high tech, to thinking you're going to work for like Intel, to now having this brokerage business and domain magnet. I mean, it's just, it's so different from where your life was, you thought, going. I mean, were you always entrepreneurial? Did you always, or I mean, it sounds like you weren't, because it sounds like you just wanted to get a, a nine to five job right out of ho- a college. When did you really start to realize you had a skill set for building businesses?
1: yeah i think i was probably kind of meant to to have some sort of business because i was always rather entrepreneurial i think i had my first business when i was like five or six years old and i figured that people in school often uh forgot uh, a pencil or a pen or like uh, uh, an eraser so I, i would just carry some extra and kind of sell them exchange things um so I I was always looking for some opportunities like that, but I think it was more from more from from the society, from my parents. You know, at the time, there was just no concept of setting up your own business or uh, making money online. It just like wasn't a thing.
0: So yeah, I mean, when you say from your parents, did you got the concept of what getting a nine to five from your parents, or did they also have kind of an entrepreneurial bone in their body?
1: Yeah, a bit of both. So my mom, my mom was a doctor. She was a dentist, and she also wanted me to be a doctor. But I was like, um, "Mom, I don't really like the the sight of blood, and <laughs> that mm-hmm. seems like that might be an issue." <laughs> and uh, my dad was he was a professor and an academic. He was also a well, he was a rocket engineer. He worked on rocket components back in the back in the Soviet Union. Um, and then, the, then this whole thing uh, fell apart. Uh, the Soviet Union. I mean, he uh, had to reinvent himself, and then he set up a business, and he had this whole education-based business. He had um, like physical schools, several, several different schools in Moscow for little kids, um, and then he also had a small online business. So I thought that was very interesting, and I um, I kind of liked both aspects of that—the engineering and the business side of my of my father's uh, enterprise.
0: Yeah, can you just describe exactly what kind of schools he set up and what was his online business? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, he invented this whole method for early childhood development for kids from like one and a half to six years old, and he had um, he wrote a bunch of books. I think he published like 30 books. And he was he was doing seminars. And then he also um, had several schools that he uh, set up that were using his method um, that were operating in Moscow and also in, in a few other places.
0: Cool. And the, the online business was similar to that?
1: Yeah, the online was, was the same. Um, like trying to do the same online, trying to teach kids from online. And that was like 10 years ago. Uh, so it was uh It was not like it wasn 't really using any of the advanced tools that we have now, so it's just kind of sending people uh, t- uh, uh, problems to solve via email
0: mm. what do you mind me asking what his philosophy was on child development for that period of development
1: yeah, he was really into he believed that you have to start developing as early as possible because many of uh, children's memory, intellectual capabilities, and similar things. They, they are developed during that age of like one and a half, two to two, five or six years old. So he believed that if you start early, you can get a really uh, kind of big jump start. And um, it, it also seemed seem to prove right based on the results. So many of the kids that went through it and that because he was doing it for, I think, about 20 years, so many of the kids that started and they, they went and had uh successful um they started successful at school and uh went into good prestigious universities. Uh so they get they had good achievements in um in uh education and generally.
0: Well I would imagine that you were probably one of his um experiments as as he raised you with his philosophy where he um encouraged you to develop early with what kind of tools and techniques what did he make you play piano or anything like that
1: uh actually yeah very very much so not piano but chess and um he was into chess and so i was playing chess quite seriously at some point i was even the the chess champion of moscow uh, when i'm back when i was like 12 or 13 in, in my age group and um and he did also use that as 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 kind of an example, <laughs> so he he used that to promote his method as well um and uh, chess was was part of um, of his teaching methods as well because it yeah, develops um, like this cognitive and intellectual capabilities.
0: What level did you reach within the chess world? what is it called like a fight, fight or
1: yeah i was a, I was a master fide okay uh, but, but i haven't i haven't planned in, in a few years now
0: okay so when you when you were playing as a young boy did you enjoy it or was it just something you knew that your, your dad your dad wanted you to do and you just did it
1: well you know it's it's a good question it's it's hard to answer because i enjoyed i enjoyed the process i guess i enjoyed the process of getting better at it i enjoyed winning for sure but it was also um like i did not like losing um which is <laughs> which is naturally uh, part of the experience um I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe if I studied uh, music or something different, that could have been uh, more useful because chess is not super useful in daily life. But uh, maybe it's helpful for business or something else. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely probably developed a portion of your brain that a lot of kids, you know, at that age aren't really developing at that speed.
1: Yeah. Did you have. Uh, anything similar when you were a kid did did your parents uh force you to to do something similar
0: they did yeah they tried yeah Um, i quit pretty quickly they tried to make me play piano um which i didn't get into at all and and fought them every step of the way to continue on with i didn't like it um and then they quickly realized that just forcing me to do anything was futile i just was i would refuse because if i didn't like it I, i couldn't focus and didn't enjoy it so they kind of left me to my own devices, which led to more, I think, athletic achievements. I was quite athletic and enjoyed, you know, the soccer and surfing and being outside. So, you know, maybe the outcome has got brought me to where I'm at today, you know, which is not necessarily, um, a successful online entrepreneur yet, but like you, I do like the challenge and I'm challenging myself every day with this online stuff.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think, um, uh yeah I think it's difficult to force kids to do something they don't like i I definitely liked chess to some degree so my my dad saw that I had some potential on it or that I like enjoyed that that certain way of thinking that's helpful in that uh because i I was not a very athletic kid at all.
0: What other kind of things have you over the years developed a uh, liking for I mean do you have other hobbies that you really enjoy doing
1: i yeah I've 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 gotten more into sports more than doing some doing lifting doing um uh, doing yoga uh running all kinds of things I've played tennis for for some period um I wouldn't say that there is anything that's like a huge kind of hobby but i've but I've liked being um like being a beginner at different things
0: yeah no I can relate to that for sure. Well, this is, this has been a cool conversation, man. Thank you for taking the time. If if I'm somebody, for example, who has a small business online, I have my surf instruction uh, business that is not making that much money. So obviously, I'm probably not a candidate for you to acquire my business. But if somebody out there you, you know, might have a successful business right now online that they're thinking about selling, I mean, what can they expect from you and, and how should they reach out to you?
1: Yes, yeah, so we generally look at businesses from a minimum of about Two, $3,000 per month in, in profit and up to maybe 30000 per month or so in profit. Uh, so the best way to reach us is just go to domainmagnate.com uh, slash sell, forward slash sell. And uh, the benefit of, of working with us compared to, uh, well, most other places is that we, we can be quite quick and efficient. So if you if like the business, if you're interested in it, we can give you an offer right away and we can do a deal uh, quite quickly. And if you we don't, we would, we would tell you right away as well. Nice,
0: dude. Very cool. And then one last question before I let you go. If you could talk to one listener out there who's heard your story and gotten really interested in, in your lifestyle and what you're doing now, um, what could you tell them to maybe encourage them to take that first step and, and try it out?
1: Yeah, good question. I would say the biggest advice to people um, I usually give is to figure out what what are you good at, because there are many different things you can try, you can learn many different methods. But if you know what you are already naturally good at, then you can connect that and to, to the right type of business for you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael, for your time. You have a great evening.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you
0: awesome Michael thank you so much it was a pleasure chatting with you I wish you all the best as you continue to grow your new fund and hope that you get to see those kinds of returns in the future thank you again for listening please pull up that phone hit subscribe if you want to support Misfits and Rejects you can do that in two ways you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt or you can head over to patreon.com backslash misfitsandrejects give a monthly donation it's all appreciated nothing is expected whether it's $1 $5 $10 it's all appreciated nothing is expected and please again if you like this episode share with a friend scroll down to the bottom of whatever you're listening to this on leave a 5 star rating leave a review I sure would appreciate it I think you all are so very beautiful thank you for joining me see you in next week's episode Monday morning 9am have a good week take care ciao thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects I hope this inspired you to think about your life situation where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life I hope these people that I interview, inspire you to go out, spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.